Well, good evening and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am so sorry that we didn't get to meet last Wednesday night for our online study. Last week, obviously, we had a bad snowstorm and uh, very cold weather and lots of power outages and people were dealing with lost water and burst pipes. And I hope and pray that all of you are doing well tonight. I hope that things are better for you now than they were a week ago at this time. If there's anything that you're still struggling with, please don't hesitate to let us know. We would love to help you in any way that we can. Every time there is a a challenging situation that our community faces, our congregation always steps up and we always have more offers to help than we do requests for help. So if there's anything that we can do for you, if you need help in any way, please let us know because we would love to show you what being the church is all about. This series that we're doing on Wednesday nights and we're beginning to wrap up because beginning in March, the first Wednesday night in March, we're going to have in-person Bible studies on Wednesday night. We're very excited about that. Various adult classes as well as children's and youth classes here at the church building. We will continue to stream our auditorium class on Wednesday night. So if you are more comfortable at home, then don't worry. The online option is not going anywhere and we would love for you to join us online if you can't be here in person. We'll have more details about that coming up. But our Wednesday night study this quarter has been all about following the example of Jesus, that Jesus is our example in a life interrupted. And we've been talking about how our life has faced, both collectively and individually, our life faces all kinds of interruptions, things that disrupt what we were doing, what we thought things were going to be like, what what we wanted things to be like. And often that evokes feelings of anger and frustration. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is that Jesus is our example in dealing with anger and frustration. And of course, when I started to think about this topic, I thought, well, what story about Jesus can we talk about when we talk about anger and frustration? And you probably are thinking the same thing that I was thinking, the cleansing of the temple, right? And so we could talk about the cleansing of the temple, and we're going to talk about the cleansing of the temple. But I I imagine there were lots of times in Jesus' life that he faced and dealt with feelings of frustration and anger. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is God in human form. And so we, we know that Jesus had to deal with frustration and anger every time he came up against people that were not doing the Father's will. And I'm sure that it was frustrating to him many, many times. But we often think about this example of Jesus cleansing the temple. And I think we think about it wrong. We picture it wrong. We, we assume that there's something going on in Jesus cleansing the temple that justifies us giving vent to our anger. Sometimes we look at what Jesus does and we think, okay, hey, if Jesus can turn over tables in the temple, if Jesus can get mad and drive out the money changers out of the temple, then I can get mad sometimes and I can kick and scream and throw a fit and toss a chair or whatever the case may be. In fact, you may have seen this meme and I'm not picking on you necessarily if you've shared this meme or maybe I am picking on you, I'm not sure, but but maybe you've seen this or you've had a, a thought that's similar to this, but it says, if anyone ever asks you, what would Jesus do? Remember the, the bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. And again, 
I think that's how we tend to think about this story. We tend to think that Jesus is just mad and angry and upset. And so he's flipping tables, turning stuff over, driving people out with a whip. I tend to think that the whip was used on the livestock and not the people, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I think the, the main reason we don't understand what Jesus is doing in the temple is because we're not familiar with the whole temple story. Not only are we not familiar with the whole Jesus story sometimes, we're not familiar with the whole temple story. Because Jesus cleansing the temple, and that's a good word for it, cleansing the temple, wasn't the first time that the temple had been cleansed. It wasn't the first time that people were doing things that were defiling the temple and were driven out. Let's look at a few examples before we get to Jesus cleansing the temple and talk about how we can learn to deal with our anger and frustration based on that story. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we have the story of King Ahaz. And it says, In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. This same King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him, because Damascus, Syria, had come in and defeated him, and so he assumed that their gods must be stronger and better than Yahweh. So he sacrificed to their gods, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, behold, they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And so obviously King Ahaz defiled the temple and he defiled Jerusalem and he set up idols and did idolatrous things in Jerusalem. And so when his son becomes king, when Hezekiah becomes king, it says in chapter 29 and verse 1, Hezekiah became began to reign when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Pay attention to that word. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth, I love that word, the filth from the holy place the holy place and the temple itself and even all of Jerusalem was filled with defilement. And so Hezekiah becomes king and as king, he sets things in order and then he consecrates the priests or has the priests to consecrate themselves so that they can begin to make the temple holy again, can consecrate, make holy the temple, carry out the filth from the holy place, drive out the things that shouldn't be there, restore the temple to what it should be, make it right again. And so that's what both the king 
and the priests are doing in Hezekiah's day. And then in Nehemiah's day, we see something very similar. It says, now before this, this is near the end of the book of Nehemiah, after the walls had been rebuilt. It says, now before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, Now, if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah, you might realize that Tobiah is one of the enemies of Nehemiah. He was married to a Jewish woman, but he is is not a Jewish person, and he has been hindering the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem since the very beginning. And so Tobiah has been an enemy of Nehemiah's and, and has stood in his way every step of the way. But now it says that Eliashib, has prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So instead of storing the things that they were supposed to store in the temple, they had made a room for Tobiah. So they had this Gentile who was living in the temple where he wasn't supposed to be, obviously. Verse 6, while this was taking place, Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and I, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And again, there's that word. That's what we're talking about, anger and frustration. Nehemiah has several moments of anger and frustration throughout this book. And this frustrates him. It frustrates him when God's people don't act the way that they're supposed to. It frustrates them. It frustrates him when they take the temple and use it in a way that it wasn't designed to be used. Use it for something that defiles it. And so, yes, Nehemiah is angry. I'm sure Hezekiah was angry about the things that his father Ahaz had done to the temple and to the city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah is angry and he says, I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. Again, do you see these words? Hezekiah tells them to take the filth out of the holy place. Nehemiah says, I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Do you see how both Hezekiah and Nehemiah are setting things right? They're fixing the doors back on the temple. They're driving out the filth. They're taking out the household items. They're putting things back the way that they're supposed to be and getting rid of the things that are not supposed to be there. That's what they're doing. They're they're putting things in order. They're restoring things. They're cleansing things. They're consecrating things. They're setting things right. Now, Are they upset? Are they frustrated? Are they angry that things are not right? Yes, of course they are. And as these official representatives of God, as these leaders, Hezekiah being the king and then working together with the priests, and then Nehemiah being the governor appointed by the king and then working together with the priests, They are setting things in order because that's what the leaders are supposed to do. That's what the king is supposed to do. That's what the governor is supposed to do. That's what the priests are supposed to do is to put things right, set things right, 
bring back in the things that are supposed to be there and take out the things that are not supposed to be there. Take out the things that defile and put back the things that are holy. And that's what Hezekiah is doing. He is taking away the things that his father Ahaz had done and he's putting things right. He's, he's working together with the priests to take out the filth from the holy place. That's what Nehemiah does a couple hundred years later in restoring the temple, in cleansing the temple, in taking out the things that aren't supposed to be there. There's not supposed to be household furniture of Tobiah in the temple. Take that out and put back the things that are supposed to be there. Now, we get to Matthew chapter 21, and we could even talk about in between the time of Nehemiah and Jesus, you have Judah Maccabeus, you have the time of the Maccabees, and how Antiochus Epiphanes had defiled the temple in Jerusalem, and how the Maccabean revolt had driven out the Greeks out of the temple, and then they rededicated the temple to God. That's what the celebration of Hanukkah is all about, is about rededicating the temple to God. So there had been these leaders that had come along all throughout the story of the temple and had driven out the things that weren't supposed to be there and put things right in the temple. And then in the synoptic gospels, that's what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they put the cleansing of the temple right after the triumphal entry. So you remember the story where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the donkey and all of the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the king, this is the Messiah. And he's riding in as this humble king, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. And he's coming into Jerusalem and then he goes to the temple and he sets things right just like Hezekiah, much like Nehemiah. He sets things right in the temple because things are not right in the temple. But ironically, in this story, it's not the Gentiles. It's not Gentiles who defiled the temple as in Nehemiah's day or as in the days of the Maccabees. But in this story, it's the Jewish leadership that has defiled the temple, much like in Ahaz's day. It's the people that, that were their own people. These were the, the, the people that were supposed to be keeping the temple what it was supposed to be. The people that were supposed to watch over the temple and shepherd the temple and lead the people in prayer and worship in the temple. But instead, they had turned it into a den of robbers. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Starting in verse 12, says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. The money changers were those that took Roman coinage and gave them temple coinage, but apparently their scales weren't exactly what they should be, and they were giving people less, and they were stealing from them. They were taking advantage of them. They were manipulating the system. And so there was this temple system in the temple complex that was robbing people. This was supposed to be a place of prayer and worship and sacrifice, a holy place. But instead of it being a holy place, they were defiling it by taking advantage of people, by stealing from people, taking from the very people that couldn't afford to, to make the sacrifices in the first place. And so they were buying the least expensive sacrifices. And these are the people that were being taken advantage of and robbed. 
He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then it just shifts gears. So Jesus drives them out and he says, you've made what was supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. And then Matthew says in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now notice what's going on here. You just had the triumphal entry and and they were declaring Jesus is the Messiah. And now he drives out the, the money changers, drives out those selling livestock in the temple. And he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And then the lame and the blind are coming to, them, coming to him and he's healing them. And they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're saying he's the king. Now, We have to tie what Jesus did in driving out the money changers, in driving out the livestock, in driving out the thieves out of the temple. We have to tie that to his messianic role, to the fact that Jesus is the son of David. That's what the context is all about. It's about Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus isn't just some guy that says, hey, I don't like you doing this in the temple, or I'm mad. I'm just having a bad day, and so I'm going to turn over your tables and kick you out. Jesus is doing this as an act of divine judgment, as the divinely appointed Messiah, as the son of David. He's acting like King Hezekiah. He's acting like David. He's acting as a restorer. He's not just mad and angry and just taking his vengeance out on people or taking his rage out on people. He's doing what Hezekiah did. He's doing what Nehemiah did. He's doing, in a sense, what what Judah Maccabeus did. He's restoring. He's rededicating. He's kicking out the things that shouldn't be there and putting in place the things that should be there. And what is he doing? He's healing in the temple. He is taking care of the people that need to be taken care of, as opposed to the other religious leaders who were taking advantage of them. And of course, they're indignant, these other religious leaders, and they say to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And so this story is all about Jesus being the Messiah and acting like the Messiah. I've often compared this story to... Not to somebody that just comes in and is having a bad day. You know how we tend to be, right? We, we had a bad day. Somebody said something to us that wasn't very nice. Somebody upset us and said something that, that wasn't good. And so we come home and we're just cranky and frustrated. And we, we hypothetically, not hypothetically, but metaphorically kick the cat. You know, we, we take our anger out on other people and other things. We get mad and we kind of throw a fit. We're, we're short-tempered with our family. This isn't what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't just mad and having a bad day. Jesus is having a great day. The people of Jerusalem are saying he's the Messiah. He's the son of David. And and so he is acting as the son of David. It's much like a dad who 
comes home. You've seen these scenes in movies maybe where, where a father will come home to a house and the teenage kids are throwing a party and there's teenage kids hanging out the windows and drinking things they shouldn't be drinking and doing things they shouldn't be doing. Now, is the dad mad when he comes home? Yes, he's incredibly mad, but he's not going around breaking things because it's his house. He, he kicks people out for sure. He pours out their beer. He, he sends them packing. He says, get home. Don't, don't ever come back. Whatever he says. But he's putting things right. He's driving out the people that shouldn't be there and putting things back in the house the way they should be. That's what Jesus is doing. Is he upset that people are robbing the, the most vulnerable people in the temple, of course he's upset by that. Is he angry at that? Yes. Is he frustrated? Absolutely. But he's acting as the king. And so one thing we can take away from this story is that God's anger that's manifested in Jesus means that Jesus is going to set everything right. Jesus is going to take care of our enemies. He is our king. He's the one that's going to set all things right. But I think when we look at this story, we have to take several things into account. When Jesus cleansed the, the temple, he was confirming that he is the Messiah. So he confirmed that he's the Messiah. He continued a legacy of cleansing the temple. This isn't the first time the temple had been cleansed. And so this was an act of saying, yes, I really am the Messiah and I'm continuing this legacy of setting the temple right. I care about my father's house and I care about my father's people. That's what he's saying. Just as those who came before me, I am the ultimate shepherd of Israel. I am the ultimate shepherd of God's people. I am the prophesied Messiah and I am confirming that and continuing the legacy of cleansing the temple. And then finally, he condemned the corruption in the temple. He said, this isn't right. This isn't good. This isn't okay. His anger, his frustration condemned the robbery that was taking place in the temple. But what I want us to notice about the story is that it's not about rage. It's not about rage. In fact, here's how we might put it. It's restoration, not rage. It's restoration, not rage. My boys like this, this uh, YouTube channel called Dude Perfect. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, they do all of these trick shot videos. The kids love it. It's great. We enjoy it. In fact, they're, they're right here in Frisco. And so if the Dude Perfect guys are watching this, I just want you to know that we like your videos, but the one part of it that drives me crazy is at the end of some of their videos, they have this thing called the Rage Monster. And one of the, the guys in the video and it's all played for comic relief. They're just being funny. But something will make him mad. Something will make him angry and upset. And he will take his rage out on everything. And this guy breaks everything in his path. He's destroying everything. He just tears everything around him up to pieces. He tears it to pieces. And I, I just cringe every time I watch that because I think, oh, I don't want the boys acting like that. I don't want anybody acting like that. Rage is not good. And if we read this story and we think that Jesus is raging, that he's just venting his anger and he's destroying things in his path, I think we're reading it wrong. It's not about rage. It's about restoration. Jesus isn't breaking the temple. He's setting the temple right. 
Yes, he's turning over their tables because their tables shouldn't be there. It's the same thing Nehemiah did when he tossed the household furniture out. It's the same thing that Hezekiah did when he had the filth of the temple removed and cleansed. He's taking out the things that shouldn't be there. He's turning over these tables. He's driving out the livestock and the money changers, the people that are taking advantage of the people. Jesus loves his father's house and he loves his father's people. And so is he angry and upset? Absolutely he is. But it's not rage. It's restoration. It's putting things right. And I think that's what we have to learn about frustration and anger for ourselves. That when we're having a bad day, when something's happened that hurts us, that yes, it's natural to feel frustrated and angry. And angry. When something is damaged, when there's damage to things that we love, it makes us angry. When there's damage to things that we love, it makes us angry. Maybe the thing that we love is just our feelings, and maybe our feelings have been injured. Somebody said something that was mean. Somebody said something that was hurtful. Maybe something that we love is our family. Maybe something that we love is our country. Maybe something we love is our community. And when we feel like, when we perceive or in reality, the thing that we love has been, or maybe there's a threat that might damage the thing that we love, it makes us angry. I bet we could think of a dozen things right now that make us angry in the world or in our own immediate life things that make us frustrated and angry. And it's natural that when there's damage to something that we love, it brings anger and frustration. And again, I think Jesus felt anger and frustration because something he loved, his father's house and his father's people were being damaged. They were being defiled. So yes, Jesus was frustrated and angry, but he wasn't just taking, he wasn't kicking the cat. He wasn't just venting his rage and frustration. It wasn't about rage. It was about restoration. Love causes us to restore, not cause more damage. That's what I want us to get and understand from this story, that damage to things we love makes us angry, but love causes us to restore, not cause more damage. Love causes us to restore, not make more damage. Now, there's a radically different way of thinking about anger and frustration. When we're angry and frustrated, again, our tendency is to take it out on somebody or something. We'll punch something or break something or kick something or yell at somebody or say something that's rude. Either the thing that made us angry or maybe on an innocent bystander. Bystander. Again, we, we, we go home and we say things to our family that we shouldn't say. Or we go home and we kick the cat. And we, we've got to stop that because when we love something and it's damaged, whether that's our feelings or our community or our family or whatever it might be, and we feel angry and frustrated, we don't need to do more damage. We need to do restoration. So maybe somebody's angry at you. Maybe somebody said something rude to you. Work towards restoration, not rage. Don't do more damage. That's what rage does. Rage just does more damage. But Jesus isn't about doing more damage. He's not just about breaking stuff because he's mad. Jesus is restoring things. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is all about restoration, bringing back the things that have been taken away and taking away the things that shouldn't be there. 
And so when you think about the things that make you angry and frustrated, there's all kinds of things in the world that make me angry. Things that I think this shouldn't be the way that it is. This is wrong. This shouldn't happen. That makes me angry. And again, our tendency when we walk by the flesh is to do more damage, is to rage and just break something else. Somebody made us mad, so we're going we're gonna to break them. We're going to say something to them that's going to hurt them as bad as they hurt us. What does that fix? What does that restore? What does that make right? Nothing. Now, instead of one thing that's broken, now you have two things that are broken. Jesus wasn't just raging. He was restoring. And so when something makes us frustrated, we look out in the world and we see things that are wrong. Instead of just doing more damage by doing more yelling and screaming or typing away on Facebook because something made us mad, we need to work towards restoration. Somebody's doing something that's wrong, how do we bring them back? How do we call them to repentance? How do we love them and help them to see the good news of Jesus? Somebody in our family has said something that hurt our feelings. Somebody broke our family by doing something that was wrong and hurtful. How do we work towards restoration? That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Jesus is always doing. Whether Jesus is convicting and saying this is wrong, even when he's working with the money changers or the Pharisees, his goal with the Pharisees, his goal with the money changers, his goal with the priests, his goal with everyone, whether it be the, the lame and the blind, the poor, or, or the rich and the powerful and the oppressive, Jesus' goal is restoration, to bring them to repentance, to bring them into the family, to help them to embrace the good news of his kingdom. It's all about restoration. That's what we do when we love something. When we love something and, and we perceive damage to it, Let's not just break more things, damage more things, fight fire with fire. Let's work towards restoration. If we perceive that something we love has been or is being or might be damaged, let's work towards restoration. You feel like somebody is or something is damaging the church? Work towards restoration, not towards doing more damage. You feel like something is damaging our community or our country, work towards restoration, not doing more damage. You feel like somebody is damaging your family, work towards restoration, not towards doing more damage. And what does that look like? Well, that takes discernment and every situation might be a little bit different. And there are times where we need to tell people you're wrong, you need to stop doing that, but our goal needs to be restoration not just to hurt them the way they hurt us. If that's ever the goal, if our goal is ever to just hurt somebody because somebody hurt us or break something because something feels broken in us or to do damage because we feel like damage has been done to us, to just take out our frustration and our anger on someone else or something else, then we're not walking by the Spirit. We're not following the example of Jesus. Let's not take this story of Jesus cleansing the temple and restoring the temple and allow that to be justification for us venting our rage because that's not what's happening here. It's about restoration, not rage. And yes, when something you love is damaged, it makes you angry, but love causes us to restore, not to cause more damage. 
Again, thank you so much for being with us tonight as we've thought through this. And I hope that by meditating on and thinking about Jesus and the way he deals with people and the way he deals with problems, the way he deals with feelings and frustration and anger, I hope that Jesus will call us to a higher and better and more holy way of living. And and that's hard for every one of us because when we have these feelings of frustration and anger, working towards restoration may not be our first instinct, but it needs to be the instinct that the Spirit is giving to us because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you don't mind, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we could share together tonight. Father, we pray that you help us to follow the example of Jesus. That when we are frustrated and angry because something that we love has been damaged, help us, Father, to work towards restoration and not work towards doing more damage. Help us, Father, to use use these feelings of love, use these feelings of frustration when something that we love has been damaged to do good and never to do harm. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his example, for his forgiveness, because we've all fallen short of this goal, for his spirit, for your spirit who lives within us. And we pray, Father, that we can today and every day walk by the spirit and work towards restoration. Help the spirit's fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control be ever seen in us. Father, we thank you for all that you've given us in Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. I pray and I hope that you have a wonderful evening. God bless. Take care.